When my daughter was younger, I would often take her to the Museum of Natural History here in New York City. I took her there because she had a fascination with the dinosaur exhibit. At the time, I used to work for a corporation that with my ID, it permitted me and the members of my family to be able to enter at no cost the general exhibit of the museum. On one occasion, my wife and I and some of our family members, we all went to the museum, and it was on a day when they had multiple special exhibits. Now, the thing about free access with the ID is that it does allow you access to the general museum, but not to the special exhibits. The special exhibits required some cost. Well, on this day, I decided I was going to flash my company ID to the young lady at one of the special exhibit entrances and act and pretend as if my ID was legitimate enough to earn us free access into this special exhibit. So when I went up, I showed her my ID boldly, and I said, all of these folks here, they are okay to enter the exhibit. Because of the manner of my approach, the young lady permitted all of us to enter into the exhibit as if we had a right to be there. You see, because I had an ID, and because I stepped up to the gate boldly, like I belong there, I and my family were given access to an exhibit that we would ordinarily not be permitted to enter. Now, I'm certainly not advocating that you should try anything like that, but there is something to be said about access when you think you have a right to it. Very often, we look at our lives, our circumstances, and ourselves, and quickly conclude that we are so bad that there is no possible way that God would even give us access into his presence. Even if we decide to go to God in prayer, it is often with a defeated and a demure posture, wallowing in some kind of self-pity and victimization, questioning whether or not we have any right to approach God. Well, the truth is, no matter how you may feel or think about yourself, you need to know that you can always go to God. But God is holy. And while you and I can claim every right to go to him, we must recognize that he is a holy God and we have to approach God a certain way. This approach to God requires a certain attitude, a certain confidence, and a certain boldness to enter into his presence and to discuss this holy approach. I want to speak today a message titled, Our Great High Priest. Let us pray. Father, we've now come to the preaching hour. Spirit of the living God, we come boldly now to your throne room of grace. Not so much to ask and make petitions and supplications to you, 
But now to hear what thus saith the Lord. Speak, Spirit of the living God, and help your children to be better servants of you. For we serve a holy God, and we are a holy nation. Bless us now in our time, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all who believe, say amen, amen, and amen. All people of faith struggle with two crucial areas that will either make or break your Christian walk and your pursuit of holy living. The first is perseverance in times of trial. Most, if not all, Christians struggle with perseverance in times of trial. The second thing that most Christians and most believers struggle with in their pursuit of holiness is prayer. These two things, simply to endure trials and to pray, causes us to have more stress and struggles with our Christian walk. Failure to endure trials is the mark of the seed that Jesus talked about that was sown on rocky soil. If you recall in Mark the fourth chapter and the 17th verse, Jesus said, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm foundation in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. They fall away because they did not have enough of a firm foundation in order to persevere and endure times of trial when hardships come around. Our ability to endure difficulty and to persevere is one of the marks of a true Christian believer. The other crucial mark of a true Christian believer is prayer. Quite simply, prayer is talking to God, especially when we are suffering trials. Now, as a pastor, I can readily admit to you that my prayer life is sometimes a real struggle. And I sometimes find that I pray to God out of desperation and when I have a great need. And even if I don't have a great need, sometimes when I pray, it becomes routine and almost feels like it lacks meaning or substance. And I'm being very honest. But the fact is, God's abundant and sustaining grace flows through to us through prayer. And because prayer is so vital, the enemy of our souls, Satan, the devil, he tries to cut off that supply line. And so when we suffer and whenever we're going through some kind of difficulty, all the enemy has to do is to whisper in our ear, God doesn't care about you. He isn't answering your prayer. Why even waste your time on these worthless words? God is not hearing. God is not listening to you. That is all it takes for the devil to discourage us and to make us think that we have no right to go to God, which in fact does affect the way that we approach a holy God. But despite what you may think, despite what you may feel, despite whatever may be going on in your life today, hear me, church, when I tell you that you have a right to go to God in prayer. You have the right to tell him what you want. You have the right to tell him how you feel. You have the right 
to express your deepest fears and your anxieties. In fact, it makes no difference what the problem, you can go to God in prayer. You can call him when you need him. Our Father up in heaven, you can go to God in prayer. But you must go a certain way. In our text today, found in Hebrews, the fourth chapter and the 14th through the 16th verses, it says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are two commands here. Number one, hold fast to our confession. And number two, draw near with confidence. But these two commandments are both based on a singular truth about who Jesus is. Look carefully. I'm telling you that if you read the text carefully, you can draw the conclusion that since Jesus is our great high priest, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens, we can hold fast to our confession. The second thing is, since Jesus is a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, we should draw near to the throne of grace to find help in times of need. So, church, hear me clearly. If you want to persevere through trials, if you want to endure through the hard times, if you want to receive help through prayer in times of need, you must first understand who Jesus is as priest. You must understand who Jesus is as priest. In the Old Testament, God had established three functional offices within the nation of Israel, namely the office of prophet, priest, and king. These offices were put in place to help the people with their ongoing relationship with God and with each other. Very briefly, the office of the prophet was to speak to the people on behalf of God. This is where the people got guidance and correction based on the will of God. It is for this reason why whenever a prophet would come around or come into town, the people were frightened and they were fearful because they knew that when the prophet said, thus saith the Lord, he's either going to give them guidance or he's going to give them correction. And more often than not, when the prophet comes around, you can anticipate some form of correction. That's the office of the prophet. Then you've got the king. The office of the king was held by someone who would relate to other nations on behalf of the people of God. The king would care for the physical and the social interests of the people to keep them safe as they related to those in foreign lands. That was the role of the king. But finally, and for our subject matter today, I want to talk about the role 
of the priest. For as I said before, if you're going to endure trials, if you're going to be able to make it through to the other side, if you want to be able to go to God in prayer, you must understand who Jesus is as priest. Many people outside of the culture of biblical Judaism have great difficulty relating to the concept of priest. But to the Jews, it was an extremely important office. Literally speaking, the word priest means a person who is authorized to perform the sacred rites of a religion, especially as a mediator or agent between humans and their God. But more specifically, the priest was the vehicle through which the people would be able to get back into God's good graces after they had broken his laws. In other words, the prophet told you what you had done wrong. The priest told God that you were sorry for what you had done wrong. It's really that simple. Now, aside from the ordinary priests, there were the chief priests and there was the high priest. Now, the term chief priest is different from the high priest. In fact, these two terms only appear in the New Testament. And, and while they are sometimes used interchangeably, they do not mean the same thing. If we look at Matthew, the 26th chapter, and the third through the fourth verses, here we read. It says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. Here we see that there are chief priests, which is plural, but there is a high priest, which is singular, named Caiaphas. Now look at Mark, the 14th chapter, and the 53rd verse. There we read, they led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests, plural, and the elders and the scribes gathered together. So my point is, they are both different terms which have different meanings and roles. Now, of all the priests in biblical Judaism, the chief priests were a group of high-ranking priests who presided over all the ordinary priests. Their job was to assist the high priest, and one of them would usually become a successor or the next in line to become a high priest. The chief priests, they had a lot of power, and they were a governing body, but there was one thing that the chief priests could not do. Now, the high priest, he was the official mediator between the people and God. The high priest had all the same functions of the chief priest, with the exception that he and he alone was responsible for offering the sacrifice in the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. You may recall back in the Exodus with the tabernacle of Moses, there was the outer court, there was the inner court, and there was the Holy of Holies. The regular and the ordinary priests, they met with the people in the outer court. Here they collected and they examined the various sacrifices that the people brought and their various offerings. Some of those priests were set aside to serve in the inner court and they had to go through certain ritual cleansings so before even being able to touch the, the, the service elements within the holy place. Many of these priests served on the Jewish council and were given titles such as chief priests. But the high priest, 
was the only one that could enter into the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. It was in the Holy of Holies that the Ark of the Covenant was kept and it was the place where the high priest would meet with God. This is the place we call the throne room of grace. The Holy of Holies. Whenever you hear us pray and we talk about the throne room of grace, we are talking about the most holy place. The place where the spirit and the presence of God dwells. It is the place where you can't just come any old kind of way. You gotta come the right way. You gotta come a certain way and you must be ready and prepared to enter into the most holy place. By way of example, Moses' brother Aaron was the first high priest. He and his fellow priests offered sacrifices on behalf of the people and they had to follow a detailed procedure spelled out by God. Any variance or innovation meant instant death. Aaron's two sons learned this the hard way when Nadab and Abihu brought strange fire on the altar of the Lord. But once a year on the Day of Atonement, once every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest alone would go into the Holy of Holies. The high priest alone would go into the most holy place. Once a year, the high priest and the high priest alone would go into God's throne room of grace. And he went there to make atonement for the sins on behalf of the entire nation of Israel. If he entered there improperly or at any other time other than the day of atonement, that high priest would surely die. In fact, so holy was this place that the high priest had bells on the hem of his garment and a rope tied to his ankle that if the chief priest and the temple priest did not hear the bells as he was walking around inside the most holy place, they would drag him out by his ankles for he had died. And the truth of the matter is, whenever he came out alive, Whenever the high priest would come out alive after sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat of the altar, whenever the high priest would come out alive, the people would breathe a sigh of relief. They would be so happy because it meant that God had accepted their sacrifice for yet another year. So from the beginning, the very beginning, my brothers and my sisters, God established his holiness and he made it quite clear that if you were going to approach him in the throne room of grace, you had to come a certain way. Everything about God is holy. Everything about God is clean and nothing unholy and nothing unclean can ever, ever, ever come before the presence of God. But sadly, sadly, my brothers and my sisters, it was common for the priests, the chief priests, and the high priests to abuse their power and their authority. 
They were easily bribed by foreign entities. They, they were usually so corrupt that they would sell out their prophetic responsibilities by interceding on behalf of corrupt administrations just to have the kind of judges that they want on the Supreme Court. I know you're hearing what I'm saying. You see, these priests acted more like false prophets and they would never speak out against injustice, against racism, against xenophobia, or even Roman police brutality. You can't walk down the street. You can't even ride down the street on your donkey without fear of being pulled over by a Roman police who wanted to know not only where you are going, but why you've got some kind of ornament dangling from the head of your donkey. I know you're hearing what I am saying. They were unsympathetic, these priests, and they were simply nothing more than sinful, unsympathetic Jewish evangelicals. I know you're hearing what I'm saying. But going back to our text in Hebrews, it says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, let us therefore approach the throne of grace, the holy of holies, the most holy place with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The writer of the book of Hebrews is making a declarative statement that Jesus was not like any other high priest. In fact, the writer went so far as to say that unlike the other high priest that I mentioned earlier, this Jesus was able to sympathize with our weaknesses and who has been tested and tried in every way, even as we have been tested and tried, but yet he is without sin. In other words, there is nothing that you have been through or are going through that this Jesus has not been through himself. Yet the text said he did not sin. Put another way, Jesus endured trials and unlike all the other high priests, he could not be bought. There are three reasons why Jesus is not just any high priest, but instead our great high priest. Number one, as our great high priest, the text tells us that Jesus was sympathetic. We all need someone to sympathize and empathize with our problems and weaknesses without condemning us. Sometimes that is just enough that we need to get us through just to know that someone else understands where we are and what we're going through just to know that someone else cares is enough for us to endure difficulties and trials there's a story of a little boy who noticed a sign saying puppies for sale he asked the owner how much sir are the puppies the man looked at the little boy and said, these puppies, they are $25 each. And the little boy says, well, sir, can I see them anyway? The man whistled and the mother dog came around with all the puppies following behind her. But there was one puppy that was lagging 
behind all the other puppies. This one puppy had what he would call a limp, and it, it hobbled, and it was slower than all the other puppies. And the little boy said to the man, Sir, what's wrong with that puppy? And the man said, Well, that puppy is crippled because it was born without a hip socket. It will never, ever be able to walk normally. The man was surprised when the little boy said, Sir, can I have that puppy? And can I pay you for that puppy over time? The owner replied, son, you don't seem to understand. That dog is never ever going to grow up to walk like a regular dog. That puppy will never ever be like a normal puppy. Why on earth would you want to spend $25 that seems to be difficult for you to raise? Why would you put yourself out there, son, for this kind of puppy? This puppy does not serve any real purpose that puppies serve. The little boy looked at the man. He reached down, pulled up his pants leg, and revealing that he walked with a brace. And he looked at the man and he said, Sir, I don't walk too good either. The boy looked down at the puppy and said, That puppy is going to need a lot of love and understanding, for it is not easy being disabled. The man saw the boy, understood, and it melted his heart that he said, son, you can have this puppy for free. What's my point? My point is, while this is a limited example of, of how Jesus sympathizes with our condition because he has been there, he has done that, he understands your need, he knows what it's like to walk around without being able to make ends meet. He knows what it's like to walk around to have nowhere to lay his head. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to suffer persecution. He knows what it's like to depend on people who are not that Jesus has been everywhere that you have been and then some as the prophet Isaiah declares surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him not stricken smitten by God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed since Jesus became a man and suffered all that we experienced he sympathizes with our weakness and that's why he serves as our great high priest the second thing is that Jesus serves as our great high priest because the text tells us he was sinless he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. Temptation came to Jesus, and he knew every type of temptation. Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry and wanted food. Jesus knew what it was like to be thirsty and wanted water. Jesus knew what it was like to be tired and in need of rest. He knew the agony of physical torture, but he endured his trial even up to his crucifixion. He knew what it was like to be mocked, distrusted, maligned, and betrayed. These facts mean that he understands what we are going through. And if Jesus ever had a reason to cut corners or to go another way or to get to the throne room any other way, he could, but he chose to not sin. And for this reason, Jesus not just sympathetic, not just sinless, but Jesus became our great high priest.
And finally, Jesus became our great high priest because he became our sacrifice. The high priest, as I shared with you before, would sprinkle the blood of an unblemished lamb each year to atone for the sins of the people. He would have to do this year after year after year because the blood of lambs and goats was insufficient to cleanse all the sins of the people. So Jesus, the Lamb of God, gave his own blood as a sacrifice once and for all and made it possible that never again will we ever have to bring the blood of goats and lambs and sheep and birds and doves and never again will we need to approach God bringing some kind of blood sacrifice because Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe he did it once and for all and never again will blood need to be shed for the atonement for the sins of our people. So what does all this mean for you and for me? What does it mean and where can we go with this now? Pastor, you've told us all of this. We understand the priest. We understand the, the great priest. We understand the high priest. We understand all of these different priests. But what does this mean to us now as I bring this message to a close? Well, the text tells us clearly Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive and find grace to help in time of need. I'm talking to you, church, about your access to the throne room of grace where you must come a certain way. So the first question is, why? Pastor, preacher, should I draw near the throne of grace? Why? Because we are weak and we have a sympathetic high priest. We don't come because we've got it pretty much together or we need a little advice. We come because we are weak. Jesus didn't say, without me, you can get along pretty well most of the time. Call me when you need me. Jesus said, no, apart from me, you can do Nothing. So when you come to the throne room of grace, he doesn't really come to ridicule you or belittle you. You come because you have a need. When, pastor, should we draw near the throne of grace? Whenever we fall into diverse trials and temptations. Whenever we need help to endure. Whenever you are struggling at something in your life, that's when you come to the throne of grace. Our main reason why we do not pray is that we don't realize how needy we really are. We think we can handle things on our own, but the fact is we depend on Jesus for every breath that we take and for every food that we eat. Praying is necessary because we are constantly in over our heads and the devil the enemy of our soul is seeking how he may steal kill and destroy so when do you need the throne of grace every day every moment of every day and moment i get up in the morning i need to approach the throne of grace just before i lay my head down i need to approach the throne of grace every day for i am in need of the savior's grace finally how should we draw near to the throne of grace? If you have not been hearing the message so far, I'll tell it to you right now. You come boldly.
with confidence because Jesus is our great high priest. We could not dare and should not dare try to come to God on our own merit or our own righteousness. For you and I, as best as we may think we are, we are unholy at best. But we can come with confidence because the blood of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, has given us access. Our confidence is not in how good we've been or how good we are or how well we can pray. If we hold fast and confess our sins, he will cleanse our wounds and he will begin the healing process just as any parent would carefully clean and bandage the wounds of their children. So when we draw near to the throne of grace, we will find mercy. We will find grace for help in time of need. So when your life seems to be coming apart at the seams because of the various storms in your life, cry out to our sympathetic, sinless, great high priest and come boldly into the throne room of grace with confidence and you will receive mercy and find help to endure in times of need. So just like just like I was with my corporate ID card. You too need your own legitimate ID card that gets you access to come boldly to God's throne room of grace. That ID card is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you wear him on you, you have access, unlimited access into God's throne room of grace. You don't need to try to trick anybody. You don't even need to pretend. You only need to clothe yourself with the righteousness of God and his righteousness will declare you holy and you can walk in confidently, boldly into God's throne room of grace and to make your petitions known unto him. For we serve a God who understands your need. We serve a God who's been where you've been. We serve a God who understands all things. And because we serve a God, he wants to give you grace and mercy and it is yours for the taking. Why? Because I declare to you as a prophet, as a priest, and as a pastor, Jesus is our great high priest. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.